Sustainably Influenced, the podcast guiding you through the minefield of sustainability with your hosts Charlotte Williams and Bianca Foley. This season we'll be interviewing experts in sustainability and ethical living to shed a little light on the many terms used across industries, discussing the different aspects of living a conscious lifestyle and how we can do our bit to make a difference. Today we are speaking with Zoe Ajonio. Zoe is a writer, chef and food justice activist from South East London on a mission to bring African food to the masses. As a mixed race black queer woman born to a Ghanaian father and Irish mother from a working class background who works at the intersections of food, culture, identity and politics, Zoe is driven to create change in the food landscape. Zoe has taken her fresh interpretation of classic Ghanaian flavours to venues across London, Berlin, Accra and New York and become a leader in the new African cuisine revolution. In 2020, Zoe founded the leadership platform Black Book for black and non-white people working within the food and hospitality media. Join Zoe as she dismantles, disrupts and decolonizes the food industry while supporting marginalised communities and building a more equitable food system. Let's get into today's episode. Zoe, thank you so, so much for joining us. It's really nice to get a chance to sit down and speak with you. So let's talk all about food, which I'm sure everybody's really excited to talk about. One question we often get asked is how can people be more ethical with their food shop? Oh, you get that asked or you're asking me? <laughs> we get asked and we're asking you. So how can people be more ethical? <laughs> no, of course. Well, first of all, thanks for having me. And yeah, how can people be more ethical? I think it's easier and easier as time goes on, honestly, because a lot more brands understand the importance of, well, sustainability as a concept is just a bit more widely understood and I think a lot more brands are being very astute about aligning themselves with that concept in the, how they talk about their products how they talk about their producers and things like that so I think for the, the easy part for a consumer I think is to read the packaging and it's like look at what the origin is of the ingredients look at to see if the brand is talking about the story of the ingredients and where they're sourced and how they're sourced and what they're kind of environmental and hiring policies and things like that I mean I as a consumer and as a person that works with brands I go into a lot of detail <laughs> I'm not expecting everybody to do that but you know I go so far as to look at like who's on the leadership board and like what are their wider policies and what are they talking about as a brand and a company in, in the wider space but when it comes to supermarket shopping it should be obviously looking for fair trade looking for those kind of easy marks of recognition and then just looking at yeah, how the brand talks about the origin of its ingredients or the origin of its its brand story you know what they represent what they stand for I think if a brand's putting enough time and effort into making that apparent to the consumer hopefully you know, they're not doing it in this kind of glossy way which is also something to watch out for but I think most brands are yeah wanting to connect their consumers with the story of the people who make the food and where the food comes from so there's that, and then there's obviously, you know, there's obvious brands. I'm not, I'm not going to start name-checking brands, but, <laughs> you know, even when it comes to, like, household goods, you, there's a lot more choice now about what kind of washing-up liquid you use, what kind of detergent you can access at a reasonable price in terms of the chemical outpouring into the world. So there's a lot of low-hanging fruit there, is what I'm going to say. There's obvious standards to adhere to, like, as, as I said, with fair trade and things like that. But if you want to dig deeper, it's more about, like, okay, what... What does this brand represent and do they have the same values as me and like a bit of googling can help with that i think that that's a really valid point that last bit that you said just doing the research yourself 
looking on Google. We're lucky enough to live in an age where information is literally a click of a button mm. away and still don't do that research for themselves. They want to be essentially spoon-fed it. Well, pardon the pun when it's a food-based podcast. A lot of puns going on here. <laughs> no <laughs> hanging fruit. Spoon-fed. <laughs> I think people think it's like, I mean, I say this to people a lot. It's like, Google it. Yeah. <laughs> like on my IG page or whatever. And I'm, maybe people think I'm being rude, but actually I'm giving people the tools for them to like educate yeah. themselves. Do you know what I mean? It's like, I'm not supposed to be a one-stop shop of your only resource of how to mm. be sustainable or how to be mindful of diversity and inclusion or how to be anti racist it's like there is a big massive wealth of knowledge on the internet and you'll probably have more fun finding out the answer yourself because it leads you down other rabbit holes of investigation and inquiry it's it's still strange to me how people don't think to do that themselves as like a first point of call when you're doing research and you want to find out about something the same way if you're like searching for a holiday you check a couple of different places wouldn't you so why would you not apply that to things like doing your grocery shop do you know what it is I think the media have a lot of responsibility there, actually, yeah. because for such a long time, the media have been doing this really white gazy thing of telling people this is good for you. These are the top 10 things you should be eating this week. These are the top 10 brands we recommend you, you know, and it's like, obviously, they're doing that for their own, perhaps advertising reasons or other editorial decision choices, right? But it has made consumers quite lazy in terms of doing their own research because it's like I don't know how many people are going to be like oh what does the Guardian say the top 10 places to go on holiday what the, do you know what I mean rather than thinking well like ask your network ask your friends even that's a, a good way to find out what are your friends doing and eating and buying and what choices are they making and all your favorite celebrities like what are they talking about in terms of their sustainability choices and stuff like that and mm. you know that's where I get a lot of my information I follow people who have values that are dear to my own and then I think oh quite often that means they're talking about other people or other brands or projects or initiatives that I won't know about unless I've seen it from there actually because also you need to to some degree know what to google yeah that, that is also that it does add yeah but research is also as simple as having conversations you know what I mean it's about being curious at the end of the day I think if you're curious then research can take any manner of things I always say to my team if you can google this and get the answer there's literally no worth you asking me the question and at first it kind of put everyone off of being like oh but it's because I'm probably just going to google the answer anyway because yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know everything so I will just Google or ask someone or whatever and we all have the like ability to do that and Google now is just a verb to search so we can Google on Instagram we can look on Pinterest we can go on yeah as you said like the Guardian or CN Traveller or wherever we want Continental Traveller wherever we want to find our things and it's out there top best insert product insert place insert whatever yeah, I totally agree with you on that. Top 10 vegan recipes. And of course, you can't have that conversation without talking about that. That's a really easy way to be more ethical and sustainable. I'm not saying that everyone should be vegan because I'm not a vegan, but mm. I'm definitely more plant-forward and plant-based in my cooking at home and stuff like that. And that's like, we all understand the impact of mass agricultural farming on biodiversity. And there's, there's so much in terms of rich content on even on mainstream TV now about these yeah, environmental yeah. impacts. So... I mean, I think you'd have to be a very neglectful person not to understand that there's a direct relationship between huge consumption of red meat and 
the poor quality of the land and how we're losing wildlife, how we're losing, you know, the emissions of carbon dioxide and the effect on biodiversity and, you know, just watch Attenborough. <laughs> you know, if all you want to do for the rest of your life on, on this topic is just watch all of the Attenborough that ever was. <laughs> it's enough to start your education off though, definitely. <laughs> I think the, the conversation has become more wide and less, I'm going to say, class orientated because I think for a long, long time, you know, have, even having this kind of conversation was only within the realms of the middle and upper classes because mm-hmm. a lot of people who are working class and lower middle class or whatever think I, I can't afford to be sustainable, I can't afford to think about buying organic and I can't, you know, they're worried about their jobs, their livelihoods and like their immediate concerns whereas other classes in society historically obviously been quite well off and they can be mindful about these sort of more higher minded things but I think that we're starting to see a bit of a, a rebalance there. I mean, there's still a long way to go because I, you know, I for one, I'm getting really sick and tired of how expensive organic food is. It's like by now, everybody should be able to have really affordable, healthy, sustainable choices in their diet and in the basics of their consumption. I 100% agree with that. Price is a big factor, mm. and we've spoken about this. However many seasons we're in now, <laughs> we've spoken about this time and time again, and it has become that. Where it's, I still think that there is that disparity when it comes to price for what is affordable to somebody is not affordable to somebody else. Yeah. So it's about really making things attainable to everyone and making it sustainable. And I still think that there should be more things in like schools or in local communities with like growing your own. Yeah. That's a big thing. I can't wait for our garden to get done so I can get my little, mm. want to build a little like, grow box, but I can't build it until they've ripped out some stuff. <laughs> yeah, but even, you know, having a garden's a privilege, especially mm. in London, you know, that kind of space is rare. And I grow things on my windowsill. I grow things, I don't have a garden. I've got a really shitty little shelf outside my front door, but... <laughs> I've got, you know, I grow potatoes out there and I grow in buckets. It doesn't have to look beautiful. Yeah. I grow beans, cucumber, tomatoes, whatever. You can grow it. And peppers, bell peppers. And some of this stuff is yeah, really easy to grow. And you don't have to be, like, really green-fingered either. It's like the next time you're making, I can't even think of one recipe right now that you just <laughs> bell peppers, isn't that funny? But the next time you're using something that, let's say you're going to stuff fucking bell peppers, excuse my swearing, we don't really have kids listen to this. <laughs> and, you know, you, de- you decor the bell pepper and all of that, just take out the core and plant it right into the soil and it will grow. Some seeds you need to dry out, like tomato seeds and things like that. But there's, there's plenty where you can just take, like potatoes, for example, you know, when they're starting to go a bit wrong and that the little notches are starting to come and the root, they're re-rooting on themselves perfect cut it off put it in the soil they will grow you know you don't have to be you don't have to have years of gardening experience to get into that either I'm gonna give that a go actually because I keep talking about doing it and I keep putting it off for that like I've mentioned before my garden but no I'm gonna just grab a couple of little pots because I've got some laying around and some I've got some compost and stuff now I'm gonna give it a go later. I was well pleased with myself during last lockdown because I haven't had a chance. To, I haven't had a chance to. I was just for the last ten years been busy running my business, but it was really nice to have that time to get back into that kind of activity and yeah. having your hands in the soil and planting stuff again. And I was, in fact, the first lockdown, the fruits of my labour were fabulous. I had such an amazing array of vegetables and plants outside. I was well pleased with myself. I love that. How are they doing now, though? Because I imagine you're going back into real life work yeah that has impacted my garden considerably but also (laughs) we had this beautiful early 
bright spring last year, didn't we? Mm, if you remember, yeah. like, the, the world was going to shit, but the weather was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> We've had a bit of a stall on that this year. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's not looking quite as sexy as it was last year. But And also because I'm in between London and New York a lot at the moment as well. So ah. I'm not always here to tend to my garden. You need a little green-fingered helper to come and just, like, <laughs> sit on your windowsill whilst you're out. <laughs> I could hire a leprechaun, you're right. <laughs> Perfect. If anyone's listening, I mean, know Could you tell us a little bit more about your podcast, Cooking Up Consciousness, mm. and how can we practice consciousness when it comes to food? Mm, that's a good question. Cooking Up Consciousness, and thank you for mentioning that, it's really about, look, I'm just fascinated by a few things. I am that curious mind, right? I'm always like, when I see a person, I'm always thinking, what's their story? You know, like, where did they come from? What's the journey been? Who helped them? Who didn't help them? What was the, what were the struggles? What were the, the struggles and the triumphs that got them to where they are now? Because it's never a linear journey. And it's usually quite a surprising one. And I always think that there's a lot of inspiration to get from that, from hearing about how people have overcome whatever the circumstance or difficulty was to still stand up as themselves in the world and be authentic and honest about who they are and what they represent. So it's really about that. And it's about that kind of journey and authenticity being an inspiration to other people. And when I talk about raising consciousness, it's about, okay, this is all through the gaze or the through the eyes of people who I think contribute to raising a higher vibration in our world. And they're doing things a little bit differently. They're not in the status quo. They're creating new paradigms or shifting paradigms or their give back is so big that a lot of what they do is in service of a bigger idea than themselves and of their profit margin and things like that and so it's across of course there's food people in there people like Preeti Mistry, Rima Sal, Sama Dada, Rose Ture, Tunde Wei but also people like Zebra Blay who have a huge impact on the culture in terms of how they show up in representing themselves and their journey, talking about mental health or talking about the black experience as a woman, or Yaba Blay, who does a lot of work on colorism and that other kind of lens of racial investigation and inquiry. And yeah, it's just me chatting to cool people, basically, about the cool shit they do. <laughs> <laughs> that I think is inspiring and that should be shared with other people. And more often than not, I'm digging into their background a bit and finding out how they got on that path. And the truth is, I think, what it's, it's from my experience of the last, well, I'm 44 and I'm a cook, I'm a chef, right, and a writer and an entrepreneur and all these things. But none of this is what I expected to be doing 20 years ago. I mean, I did a law degree my first degree I didn't even expect to be doing that I was wanting to do an English degree <laughs> so do you know what I mean but and I've had this really interesting swervy strange career path I used to manage a band I used to be in events management I used to be a journalist I used to work for experiential marketing I used to travel the world making air sports tv programs like it's been a very weird and potted history and then one day I cooked a pot of peanut butter stew out front of my front door and it launched a business and a brand that I've been doing for the last 12 years. Do you know what I mean? And there's lots of people whose stories like that. It's like they thought they were going down this road and then different things happen. But in the telling of the story of the journey, you can always see 
the same themes cropping up, like connecting people, being in community, raising awareness, like the themes are always there. So I guess it's like this, I just want people to understand that where you are right now is exactly where you're supposed to be and don't be stressed out about that. As long as your heart and your values are the right place and you're showing up in the world as yourself, and following your joy, and that is your purpose, is to follow your joy. That's what I want to tell people. <laughs> Everyone's like, I don't know what I I'm supposed that. to do with my life. And that's what you're supposed to do. I feel like I really needed to hear that myself. So. <laughs> but that is what people are supposed to do. That's why we're here, is to realise that and to fulfil that destiny. The destiny is we are all unique, right? Every single one of us has the gift of our uniqueness, and we need to embrace that uh, and celebrate that and love that. And do whatever it is that makes, you know, that sparks our joy. And when you're doing that, you find a way to monetize it. And then that's it. That's your career sorted. You don't even have to work ever a day in your life because it's not work anymore. It's who you are. So that's what cooking up consciousness is. <laughs> no, it's amazing. I love how you described it as just like cool people talking about the cool shit they do. But you've got a quite a big platform yourself on a personal side. And then you've got your platform for your business. But I think... The thing I love about podcasts specifically is you don't actually need to have a platform to have a podcast and it does the work for you. So as much as you'll share it on your platform and your guests will share it, I imagine so many people are stumbling upon the, the podcast and being like, oh, what's this about? And then learning some like really cool things about really cool people because they've just seen the, the title and been like, oh, I'm curious to see what this is about. And I think this is why... I'm kind of obsessed with the podcast space in the sense that it's actually super inclusive. Yeah. Because people could just pick up and be educated as and when they want to be. Absolutely. I mean, my podcast hasn't actually launched yet. I wanted to bank the season. Ah. But yeah, and that's what I love about it as well. It's this really unilateral space where everybody can have a platform and a voice. You know, you don't have to have fancy mics and Zoom setups and all of that either. You can just jump on your computer through a platform like this to record it and you can push it out for free on lots of different platforms now. You don't need a big production around it, especially when you're just starting. And yeah, I love that. And you know, most of the podcasts I love, I've, I've stumbled upon if they weren't recommended to me. It's because I had this idea about, I thought I was going to be listening to about I don't know, entrepreneurship or something. And I've been in a spiral of self-development and <laughs> personal growth podcasts for the last 18 months. So I can't get out of that beautiful loop because it's constantly learning and hearing other people's experiences and how they well, like I said, that's what I'm fascinated by, you know, is yeah. how people come to be who they are and what the journey was and what inspired them. And like, generally speaking, that will inspire me. So then I'll go off on a little tangent and then I'll start learning about that, you know, and that's how I collect so much knowledge, I suppose, which enables me yeah. to have so many fingers and so many pies. I can imagine that being quite dangerous because I'm quite similar. I know Bianca is as well. In the sense that you get inspired, you listen, you learn, and then you learn something new. And then you're like, okay, I need to like look into this. And then you add another string to your bow or your business expands because you've learned all these things. But again, it's like this accessible knowledge that we're just being able to consume pretty much for free, apart from the fact that we pay for Spotify. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, a lot of what is available, um, you know, there's highbrow and there's lowbrow and there's middlebrow and yeah. there's entertainment and there's music and there's a plethora of all these different genres. So there is definitely something for everybody to consume Ooh. or to produce. We used to just consume media, you know, we used to have four broadcast channels, maybe four or five radio channels, your broad street, your tabloids, and that was it. And then the internet was born and then suddenly you had 
this exponential amount, this ever-increasing exponential amount of information, which was kind of still one-directional in many cases because it was still you consuming what other people were telling you. But podcasts allow you to share back and for you to create community around your ideas and what you think and what you value. And so in terms of democratising media, I think it's a, it's a great platform for sure. So going back to food, let's talk about shopping and eating. But we hear a lot and we essentially know the background. But as a chef, I'd like to get a bit more in depth with this. And we hear a lot about seasonal eating and seasonal shopping. So buying within the season. So what are the benefits of it? But as a chef, is it even possible to do? Is it easy to do? Because I imagine with the cooking that you do, because it's a lot of it would be African food. A lot of it might not actually be able to be bought in the UK as it's already grown in the UK if you're a, whether you're a professional chef or a domestic chef or somebody who hates cooking but has to cook <laughs> which is most people buying seasonally is increasingly easier because again for these reasons of you know because of the whole sustainability marker and things like that now supermarkets promote in season people don't want to buy strawberries in December from Peru anymore because A, there's a long footprint carbon-wise and B, they just don't taste as good as British strawberries, honestly, when they're in season. So there's taste factors and there's like carbon footprint factors there. And then there's also this other part of sustainability, which is supporting local. If you're supporting seasonality, it means you're supporting British producers, essentially, because that's what it means, what is seasonal locally. And you're always going to get the best flavour out of an ingredient when it's in season, because this is when it's supposed to be grown. It's not being put out of its natural habitat to grow or its natural organic state of mm. growth. So it always tastes more delicious because of that. It's the universe put strawberries in that part of the time of the year for a reason. Let's not muck about with that. Do you know what I mean? Asparagus has a short season for a reason. Ramps have a short... If there's a reason, and we shouldn't muck about with that because you're going to get the best flavour. When it comes to West African ingredients, a lot of them are perennial, right? So yams and plantains and all of that, they actually do grow all year round and they're imported and exported all year round. I mean, there is a carbon footprint issue there, of course, which is, I've always been mindful of that and worried about that. And that's why I've always talked about on the other side of what I do is using the best of British alongside. We do when we have when we are catering and we have supper clubs, we do actually have a seasonal menu, apart from the fact that, well, it's still seasonal because it's these yams and plantains and cocoa yams are, are all year round ingredients. So it's still possible to, to have seasonality even then. What are the benefits of it? So the short answer is flavour, price, carbon footprint, supporting local producers, so all around sustainability, really, and just more deliciousness. I always find sustainability, I was trying to explain something to my sister yesterday about the different pillars that fall under sustainability. And I think sometimes we have to kind of convince the general public to try to be more sustainable and conscious in their decision making. And if it can be just because it tastes better, (laughs) like, that's a big win. Sometimes it needs to be that simple, yeah. It does. I think sometimes if the if the reasons behind something are too convoluted, people are like, mm, I can't do that. But also, you know, it's become standard now for restaurants. Like if a restaurant isn't running a seasonal menu, then there's a problem in this day and age where we are. It should be so embedded in the food media and hospitality 
and the whole infrastructure of the food system should be so focused on the benefits of seasonality for sustainable reasons that, you know, if I went to a restaurant and they were trying to serve me asparagus in November or something, I'd be like, what is going on here? Like, I can't actually spend money with you guys because you have no principles about the environment or the impact of the food you're creating. Do you know what I mean? Like, it should just be so embedded in their consciousness. However, as a consumer, I do get it's a bit harder because you don't have necessarily, a consumer doesn't have the same level of education on those things, even though there is yeah. increasingly more out there in terms of education. It's like, to be honest, this kind of stuff should be getting taught at school. Primary school, kids should be planting and growing and learning how to make a windowsill of herbs mm. and learning how to plant them make their own tomatoes and understanding what seasonality means and why it's good not just for the environmental reasons but also for health reasons and there's just not enough of that also just general education on the health benefits of different types of foods and also our body has biodiversity in a way do you know what I mean like a lot of the black community who have over hundreds of years assimilated in one way or another to European food and ingredients are actually losing out on a lot of the amazing health benefits inherent from their ancestors' consumption of the grains and the pulses and the spices from Africa. That there is a, this is a new conversation, well it's not a new conversation, but it's a conversation rising more to the, to the surface now about how important it is for black communities to actually be eating from within their culture because if your ancestors for hundreds of years have built this immune system and I mean you look at the rise in diabetes right and all of the the, the traumatic health problems that black communities have they don't come from eating yam and plantain do you know what I mean it comes from mixing your diet up with loads of greasy foods that your ancestors didn't eat that your body isn't genetically predisposed to dealing with like loads of gluten and things like that so there's another education piece there, perhaps, but we're not going to go into the full whack. But anyway, but yeah, people being educated about what's good for them and their bodies yeah. individually, not just also for wider consciousness of climate change and sustainability and things like that. But yeah, go get your ancient grains, people. Go back to yeah. yeah. Go back to <laughs> stop telling me it's too hot. Okay, it's not too hot. Your palate has been <laughs> whitewashed. That's what's happened. <laughs> diluted (laughs) you're known for bringing Ghanaian food to the masses and introducing a whole generation to West African cuisine so what's next for Zoe's Ghana kitchen oh that's really interesting question I'm right in the middle of thinking about that (laughs) well I'm emigrating to the states I'm going to New York on Friday to start setting up my home base and activate my oh wow I've been thinking a lot just these few months obviously COVID basically killed my business essentially and I set up Ghana Kitchen as a spice shop which is what it's doing at the moment it's a single origin spice store with transparent supply chain to West Africa because I think it's really important to be able to pay the farmer directly and know that they're getting paid properly and that nobody's interfering in the middle to affect the end product and what the customer gets and then also over time I'm going to be able to I hope tell the story of those producers and lift up their voices and use that platform as a way to educate people about the, and a few things, honestly, about decolonizing the food system and some of the ways we've already touched on, but also buying black when it's appropriate to do so. And I think it's really appropriate for black people to be the ones owning brands that are associated with African food, for example. And I think there's a lot of people 
in that in that space who aren't black owned businesses but are leaning on the heritage leaning on the culture and not necessarily giving the right money or respects or value to people making the, the products or producing the products or farming or tending to those products so you know that's what we're doing at the moment and i'm building it out also a bit more of a media platform i suppose over the last 12 years i've done so much <laughs> i'm trying to make use of that content in a way that's useful for people so doing like on-demand cooking classes and free tutorials and workshops and master classes and things like that but to be honest you know it's still financially very hard for Ghana kitchen like my personal brand and my r d company and lots of other things i do are they do pretty you know i'm doing okay i'm not like flying anywhere with it but i'm doing okay but Ghana kitchen as a business has suffered a lot over the last 18 months and we didn't get any government support, we didn't get any funding. So it's really hard when you don't have any capital to really make it fly. So I don't know, I'm considering a few different things. I'm probably going to shop the shop for a few months to have a minute to reevaluate that. I don't know, I haven't decided. But I'm going to do Garner Kitchen in New York, that's for sure. But I just don't know what it's going to look like in the UK anymore. That's still an amazing transition though, isn't yeah. it? Even though... So many, there's been so many hardships over the past 18 months to know that you can take what an established or, all right, I know you're thinking of changing it, but taking your brand and taking it to the US to a whole new market and audience, it's going to open up so many doors and that's just amazing to see, especially coming out of the back of a pandemic. I think it's really interesting, like the response to to me and my brand in the States is really different to what it is here. And I do think it's really interesting to have on one hand have so many people want to associate themselves with the brand but then I don't know I just think it's weird it's it's obviously you know I love Ghana Kitchen it's obviously got me to where I am now and it's obviously influenced a hell of a lot of people and what they're doing now and that's great but I think yeah it's like I think that the pandemic and a few other bits including sort of career burnout as a chef and stuff that happened at the end of 2019 have made me really reprioritize what I want to do and where I want to spend my energy in the world and it really is about uplifting black voices and black businesses and it's about being more conscious in the world being more intentional in the world about who I collaborate with and what I work on and you know and I love talking to people and I love communicating so I love hosting so if I love all of those things and I'm going to be true to myself then I have to focus on doing those things and then that takes me away a little bit from trying to monetize Ghana Kitchen as in the way that I was for the last 10 years if that makes any sense so so the art the lot that was a long answer the short answer is we're an online spy shop and we're going to stay an online spy shop for a bit and then um, I'm going to see where it all goes in the next few months I've got some amazing opportunities in the states that I'm going to snap people's <laughs> yeah offers up to be honest and I'm going to put my focus on me for a bit rather than that business I've got a wife I want to start a family I've got my own needs and wants you know oh I love that do you know what the pandemic has brought a lot to us good and bad but it's I think it's been a really interesting moment for a lot of business owners and entrepreneurs to decide who and where they want to be and I think you're a prime example of that and this sounds like an exciting new change an exciting journey so good luck with everything thank you very much by the way anyone listening you can still purchase everything on the shops yeah (laughs) please go to zoeskartkitchen.com asap so we've come to the end of the podcast 
Thank you so much for listening to Sustainably Influence and make sure that you're following us and liking and subscribing on Apple Podcasts or your favourite podcast provider. And we'll see you in the next episode. Bye.